Good morning. Welcome this Christ the King Sunday to Queen Anne Lutheran Church. It's nice to see all of you here. Whether you're a member, long time, a first time visitor, or somewhere in between, we're glad to see you. A few reminders before we begin our service. First, as always, as a gift to yourself and your neighbor, we invite you at this time, please, to silence your phones. Second, we remain masked throughout the service, uh, which makes singing a little more challenging. If, uh, if that's the case for you, don't push yourself. Um, let the congregation and our choir carry you in song, uh, if that happens. Um, if you have any concerns during the service, our ushers are in the back and they can assist. They will dismiss you by pew once the recession, uh, once the service is over, rather. Um, finally, uh, it's not an issue today, but if we do have more people uh, as we continue, please uh, consider sitting in the middle of the pew so that uh, folks who arrive later than 10.30 will have an easy place to find to sit. Finally, if you'd like to hear the service again or know of someone who would, an audio recording of it will be made available online. We pray for you and for those who might be listening later to continue to be safe and well. We begin our service in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Even after Israel had experienced life under the rule of kings, the people still longed for a true king to set things right. Then Jesus appears, subverting all the expectations people have, including his own followers. Here we have a servant king, something unheard of in world history, a man whose authority represents an entirely different value system one whose kingdom, as he says, is not of this world. Pilate can't make sense of him. The Jews can't make sense of him. Can we make sense of him? Our gathering hymn number 416 at the name of Jesus is both in your, in your bulletin and in the red hymnal. Please rise as you are able.
The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. for our God. Alleluia. be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Almighty and ever-living God, you anointed your beloved son to be the king, but not in the way any of us would expect. Make us subjects of his kingdom, not by forcing us to follow him, but by empowering us to live for others as he did. In his holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The first reading is from Daniel 
chapter 7, verses 9 through 10, and 13 through 14. To the community for whom this passage was written, it seems as though the oppression they were experiencing would never end. Daniel's message is, it shall end. The Ancient One who is judge will call all nations to account and will give dominion to one like a human being, the Messiah. A reading from the book of Daniel. As I watched, thrones were set in place, and an Ancient One took his throne. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, and its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and flowed out from his presence. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood attending him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. As I watched in the night visions, I saw one like a human being coming with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the Ancient One and was presented before him. To him was given dominion and glory and kingship, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away, and his kingship is one that shall never be destroyed. Word of God, word of life.
A second reading from Revelations 1, verses 4b through 8. <clears throat> the book of Revelation begins by celebrating the Almighty God who spans all of time. Similarly, Jesus is celebrated as the firstborn from the dead who rules over the world's rulers. He is the one whose return we eagerly await. The second reading. <clears throat> Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Amen. <clears throat> word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. Please rise for the reading of the gospel. Gospel according to St. John, the 18th chapter. Glory to you, o Lord. Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king, for this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated.
Grace to you and peace from God, the source of life, and from Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. I struggled with today's message quite a bit. As you listen, you'll hear more of a meditation or a reflection on the reading. However, at the last moment, in the 12th hour, I received an insight into something that has answered a question I've had for many, many years. So listen for that toward the end. My hope is, if you have the same question, it answers it for you as well. In today's gospel reading, Jesus makes three things clear. First, as the King of Kings, he, not Pilate, has total control over the situation. Second, his kingdom is up there in heaven. It lacks, moreover, any connection to the world in which we live. Third, because his kingdom lies elsewhere and because his followers do not resort to violence to protect him, we should likewise remain silent in the face of injustice. Our faith, in other words, should have no impact on the public square. Okay, you can probably see what I'm doing. As Luke Skywalker says in the eighth episode of Star Wars, every word I just said was wrong. Or more precisely, everything I just told you has been challenged by contemporary scholars. Think about it. Most of us will accept that Jesus was a different type of king, but how could he be king if he was not always in control? Would you still follow him? And what about his kingdom? Where else could it be if not up there somewhere in heaven? I mean, he says it's not from this world, so it must be out of this world, right? How do we make sense, in short, of the kind of king Jesus was? What is his kingdom like? Where on earth might we find it? And what kind of difference, if any, could this make in our lives? Now, of the four Gospels, only John refers to Jesus as king. Matthew, Mark, and Luke portray Jesus more as an ambassador or representative of God's coming reign. And historically, Christians following Isaiah 9-6 call him the prince of peace, not the king. Yet when Nathaniel, who appears only in John's Gospel, meets Jesus according to the first chapter of John. He proclaims him not only son of God, but king, king of Israel. Jesus, in turn, accepts the label as evident in his response. Do you believe in me because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? He asks, alluding to the fact that he knew Nathanael's whereabouts without physically seeing him? 
You will see greater things than this, he says. Greater things? Like what? Well, Jesus says the heavens will be opened. That's pretty significant. Beyond that, as we see in the first half of John's gospel, which commentators call the book of signs, he will turn water into wine and give sight to the blind. About completion of the last sign, the seventh sign, which of course is a symbolic number, it's God's number, the number of perfection or completion, Jesus' power will be complete. He will raise his friend Lazarus, the one John says he loved, from the dead. It's unbelievable. Not even Pilate could do that. And in the second half of John, things get even more unbelievable. Jesus will wash his disciples' feet. Something yuck. A man of royal stature would never do. Yet gradually we we begin to learn why. Jesus is instituting a whole new order of things, an upside-down kingdom where the first shall be last and the last shall be first. For I have set an example, he says to his followers, that you should do as I have done for you. In chapter 15, finally, he takes it to the extreme. I do not call you servants any longer, he says to his disciples, because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends. Friends. Because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. How can this be? How can he now call his subjects, his servants, friends? What kind of king is this? Well, Professor Lucy Hogan of Wesley Theological Seminary has an answer. Listen closely. Jesus is not a king, she writes, that the world would ever recognize. Just think about that. This is a king who speaks to the lowly and the rejected. I fear sometimes we hear this story so much that we lose the sense of how radical uh, Jesus' kingship really is. This is a king, she continues, who serves rather than being served. This is a king who enters the holy city not triumphantly on a horse or a chariot, but seated on a donkey as if to mock the powers that be. This is the king, in short, who reverses everything. A king whose power exists not in his sovereignty over others, but in his service to others. Again, not in his sovereignty over others, but in his service to others. Imagine if a president, or any other political leader for that matter, exhibited such behavior. It would be absurd. No wonder Pilate can't make sense of Jesus. Pilate only knows worldly power and winning at all costs. 
Jesus, on the other hand, responds from the perspective of the underside of history, which has a very different set of values than that of the dominant society. His kingdom is not from Pilate's world. That's the key that unlocks this passage. His kingdom is not from Pilate's world. That is, his social world, his economic world, his political world. Jesus' values come from elsewhere. Indeed, they come from the class of people men like Pilate crush between their, beneath their feet. People who have been liberated from the idol of power. People who live for each other rather than over each other. Now, what else can we say about the kingdom of Jesus? Consider briefly 1 Peter. 1 Peter appeared in the second half of the first century and was addressed to people living in Asia Minor, which is present-day Turkey. The author refers to these people, and some of you may know this, as aliens and exiles. Aliens and exiles. He implores them to avoid attracting the attention of the Roman authorities by living honorably and by abstaining from the desires of the flesh. Be on guard, he says. Arm yourself with the same intention as Christ so as to live for the rest of your earthly life no longer by human desires but by the will of God. Now, when you hear earthly, what word comes to mind as its opposite? Heavenly. And heaven, that's where we belong, right? Heaven is our true home. Our citizenship, as Paul says in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. Peter's language of aliens and exiles accordingly refers to our situation on earth. We have been exiled from paradise. In our pilgrimage on earth, the thinking goes, and when I say the thinking goes, that means I'm about to subvert what I just said once again. In our pilgrimage on earth, the thinking goes, we should abstain as much as possible from sin. I'm not subverting that until we return to our Father's house, to heaven, where we truly belong, as Jesus says, or seems to imply in John 14, 2. That's one reading. In fact, the dominant reading, which you see not only in sermons, but also historically in hymns. In context, however, 1 Peter probably had something quite different in mind. Remember what I said about his audience. Aliens and exiles would have referred to foreigners or resident aliens who lived as subjects of the Roman Empire. Peter was giving them advice concerning how to live as Christians in this world, in this world under oppressive powers. I would argue we see the same thing in John 18.36, our reading today. Many interpreted this text to mean that Jesus' kingdom is somewhere up there in heaven and not relevant to this world, explains Samuel Cruz of Union Theological Seminary. 
To me, he continues, Jesus is saying that the values of his kingdom are different from those of the current system. In other words, Jesus does not have to exercise the type of authority that seeks to be on top, which results in oppression, corruption of the judicial system, and precisely the kind of hypocrisy that Pilate exhibited in the interaction between him and Jesus. Jesus tells him, if my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Now notice Jesus's language. My kingdom, he says, is not from this world. It stems rather from a different value system, a different way of being human, not from a geographical location somewhere up in the sky. The fact that it's so counterintuitive that Jesus would, as king, dismantle hierarchy, that it's so contrary to the way self-interested, power-hungry human beings organize society suggests, at least to me, that it comes from somewhere else, namely from God, even though it exists here. Now, you've heard this all before. Though we live in the world, we are not of the world. Only now, perhaps, we know what it means. Being of the world means living in an alternative social order to Pilate's, a social order that disrupts worldly power, though without recourse to violence. The kingdom, in short, is not a place. It never was. It's the relationship that exists between people who live for each other rather than simply for themselves. You are the kingdom. Jesus may be powerless before Pilate in a worldly sense, but Jesus, and by the Spirit, his followers, have an even greater power. We have been freed from our desire for it. There is no greater power than that. Pilate is grasped by the idol of power, and every move he makes is an effort to sustain that power over others. Jesus stands before Pilate, arguably the greatest freedom uh, a human being would ever possess in the world, and has power over him because the idol doesn't dominate him. What kind of king then is Jesus? What is his kingdom like? Where can we find it? And what difference, if any, might it make in our lives? Jesus, we've seen, is a servant king. His power, or rather God's power in him, comes from its relinquishment. He washes the feet of his followers. He considers them friends rather than subjects. He stands powerless before Pilate finally, and Pilate ironically thinks he has the power. But Pilate is a slave, and we all know it. The victory belongs to Christ the freest human being in human history. What then does it mean to follow him, to live in a kingdom not from this world? It means to do as he did, 
to continue serving others, to continue reaching out, to continue seeking to be served, seeking to serve rather than to be served. Make a difference in the lives of others and you will enter Jesus's kingdom. But what finally about the difference Jesus and his kingdom might make for each of us? This is where the insight I mentioned came to me. I hope it's helpful to you. This last week I received some really bad news and what I came to um, has provided me great comfort. I hope it does the same for you as well. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. I must confess, I have never fully understood that logic. At least not until today. Does not our weakness compel us to rely as Jesus did on God who in turn gives us the power to go on when we feel like giving up? Does not our weakness compel us to rely as Jesus did on God who in turn gives us the power to fight injustice and oppression, to stand for an alternative reality, a kingdom not from this world, but still in this world? It certainly did for the psalmist. Perhaps it can too for you and for me. Psalm 138.3. On the day I called you, that is God, you answered me, the author writes, you increased my strength of soul. I've never been good at discerning if God answers prayer, but I learned this week that in some cases he does. After praying for strength, I received it. I pray the same for you in those moments where you rely on God. May this power be yours and mine as it was Christ's, our Savior, and indeed, our King. Amen.
Let us confess our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed found on page 7 of your bulletin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Eternal God, you, you hold firm amid the changes of this world. Hear us now as we pray for the church, the world, and everyone in need. God, you sent your son Jesus to testify to the truth. We pray for preachers, missionaries, evangelists, and teachers who carry your forgiveness and love to the world. Fill their words and actions with compassion and kindness, so that your truth will shine. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. God, you send your Son Jesus to liberate all of creation. We pray for all living things, longing for the freedom to flourish, from ancient trees and wild grasses to endangered animals and rare insects. Give us compassionate hearts to care for them. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. God, you sent our son Jesus to lead us into the way of peace. Direct the leaders of nations to choose nonviolence whenever possible. Strengthen the international alliances that work for peace. Give them humility and wisdom to make just decisions to benefit all. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. God, you poured out your love for the world. Meet us amid our challenges in the person of your Son, Jesus. Make us into your own people and set us free to glorify you by serving others. We pray for people who serve well-being of others, especially ministries in our community like Compass Housing, Queen Anne Helpline, and New Horizons. Renew them in their work. Lord, in your mercy. God, you sent your Son, Jesus, to rule in all times and places. We sincerely pray for the friends of our congregation who are unable to join our worship in person and for all who are sick and suffering. Join their prayers with ours and unite them with us in the body of Christ. Lord, in your mercy. For whom or what else do the people of God pray?
our prayer. Holy God, we pray not only for all people, but for people in or connected to this congregation, especially Doris, Pam's uncle Frank, Lisa, whose mother this week has passed away, be with her and Daryl, whose mother passed away several months ago, John's son-in-law Jim, Sibylla, Deb, Ken and Ellen, Mary, my mom, Olga, Barb, Jan, Carol, Jean, Ruth, Rich and Candy, Denny, Ben, Barbara, Shana, Hildy, Bob, as well as Mulugeta and Awatash. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. God, you sent your son Jesus to be our beginning and our ending. We give thanks for those whose lives have given us a glimpse of Jesus' reign, of justice and peace. Empower us to join their witness. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. God, our hope and strength, we entrust to you all for whom we pray. Remain with us always through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is indeed right our duty and our joy that we should at all times and in all places give thanks and praise to you. Almighty and merciful God, through our Savior Jesus Christ, who on this day overcame death and the grave, and by his glorious resurrection, open to us the way of everlasting life. And so with all the choirs of angels, with the church on earth and the hosts of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn.
night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread and gave thanks, broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks and gave it for all to drink saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this for the remembrance of me. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil for the kingdom the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. If you are receiving communion this morning, I invite you now to take out your communable and receive the bread and wine at my direction. God invites you to this meal of grace. Receive the food of forgiveness. This is the body of Christ broken for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. Let us pray. Jesus, bread of life, we have received your food of forgiveness in the bread and wine of Holy Communion. As you have nourished us in this meal, accepting us before you without condition, strengthen us to love one another as you first loved us. Amen. You may be seated for announcements. Once again, it's nice to see all of you here. If you are a visitor today, we invite you to fill out a blue pew card and uh, share any prayer requests, uh, requests for newsletter, etc. So that's in front of you in the pew. Wanted to highlight just uh, three things in the, in the bulletin. First, next Sunday we'll have a processional offering 
This was instituted by Pastor Doug Stensby before I arrived. Unfortunately, since I arrived, I've coordinated it in a way that kind of poorly reflects how well Doug did it. So what we're going to do is try again. Um, and uh, if you haven't received in the mail, we invite you to pick up a collector's edition, a mini quill that uh, has a slip in it where you're invited to give either your treasure uh, to pledge your time or to offer prayer for the congregation. Any of those three or any combination of those three would be more than welcome. It's simply an opportunity for us to give back in, out of gratitude for uh, the good things, uh, even amidst, of course, the bad. So that's next Sunday at our 1030 service. Uh, please uh, um, join us for that. After next Sunday's 1030 service, we have our Peace Pull dedication. We'll have a brief uh, ceremony of dedication followed by a few words spoken by uh, Sophie Pritchard, who did the Peace Pulls, and Jim Margard, who helped uh, install them and put them together. Terry Anderson was the one who suggested the project, so she will join us as well. So please do the same if you are able. That'll be next Sunday after our 1030 worship service. And finally, happy Thanksgiving. Um, our church staff, our office rather, will be closed this week. Um, Barb is on vacation, and Kyle and I will, uh, will be away uh, for urgent needs during the week. If you require emergency pastoral care, just call me or text me at the number listed, and I will make sure that that happens. I'll be back by next Sunday, and of course, I look forward to seeing you then. Are there any other announcements for the good of the congregation? Don't forget if you pledged uh, for Jim Margard, uh, who ran uh, the, the marathon uh, for refugees, I believe he has received uh, somewhere around $8,000 in pledges. It's six to 8,000 somewhere in there, which is absolutely remarkable. I'd love to see this as an article in The Living Lutheran, so you never know. Um, anything? Okay, then we invite you please to stand to receive the final blessing. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and grant you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Our sending hymn, Lo, He Comes with Clouds Descending, is 435 in the red hymnal or in your bulletin. Choir sting stanza one. All join in singing stanzas two through three. <laughs>